But open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 6. And as you make your way in your Bibles, I want to take a moment here at the beginning of the year to just celebrate all that God did in our church uh, in 2021. In 2021, we have seen people saved and born again. We have seen people baptized. We have seen dozens of families join our church. We've seen new life groups started. We've seen people called and sent to the mission field. We've seen people called to preach and so much more. But can we just take a moment and say that these things are an activity or or evidence of the working of God among our fellowship here at Eden Baptist Church. So can we praise the Lord real quick of all that God has done. We look forward to all that the Lord is going to do and continue to do in 2022. But there's also one other area that I want to take time to celebrate this morning uh, as we look into 2022 to celebrate what God did this last year. And that was we need to celebrate what all God did through your faithful giving in 2021. First off, we should celebrate today that we finished up this last year with over $2 million in receipts and over $200,000 over budget. So let's praise the Lord for that real quick. That's That's a big spiritual marker. Now, here's the deal. We celebrate this not because of dollars. The church is not about a bank. The church is the movement, the embodiment of Christ. We celebrate that because often it is a spiritual marker. Giving has always been a marker of God's working among his people. So our giving suggests that God is at work among us, and we all feel that and notice that. I want you to know that over $250,000 of our budget was given directly to missions and outreach here and abroad. Over a quarter of a million dollars went to missions over here and abroad. With just under $100,000 of that going to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention to support that supports the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and the Alabama Baptist State Convention, which supports the Alabama Baptist Children's Home and so many other incredible ministries here in the state. Over $40,000 of that went directly to the North Jefferson Baptist Association, which helps us mobilize people to, to reach people with the gospel right here at home. The remaining of those monies went to outreach opportunities in our community through our church family. Enon Baptist Church, we are a church that gives and goes because of your faithfulness. And I also want to add that uh, we, you also gave just under $10,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes to the International Mission Board. So let's praise the Lord again for those things. Through your faithfulness to give, we were able to invest just under $75,000 that went directly to discipling and serving children and students in our church. At Enon, we know that reaching the next generation for Jesus is key, and your faithfulness has helped make that happen. Finally, because of your faithfulness to give, we've been able to keep our budget this next year for 2022 the exact same as last year, but at the same time increase our giving by tens of thousands of dollars to serve more people in our community in practical ways and thereby giving us the opportunity to share the gospel with them more. We actually have in our 2022 budget $40,000 allotted of new monies to be able to go directly to just blessing people in our our community. Just yesterday, we had a group of people down at the Shell Station that were giving out uh, free coffee and had a banner that said, 
how can we pray for you? We had over 20 volunteers, and we got to pray with over 25 people yesterday just randomly walking into the Shell Station. And so many of them said that God had put us there at just the right moment. Church, we're looking forward to more opportunities like this, like when we fed the, when we fed the whole community by taking over the concession stand a few months ago. We want to continue to bring the gospel through practical, loving service, and you're making that possible. Also, because of our faith, your faithfulness to give in our, this next year's budget, we've been able to prepare to add more pastoral staff in the days ahead. And it's an honor that one of those today, as we present to you Mr. Michael Loggins as our new Associate Minister of Music and College and Career. By keeping our budget the exact same, even though we received an excess in giving this year, we've intentionally given ourselves a roughly $200,000 margin if giving stays the same and even a greater margin if it increases. The reason why we've done this is because we're excited to announce that our finance team has decided that at the end of the year, the 80% of the excess funds given above our budget will go towards our building fund to help us prepare for the future that if approved by you, the church, will more than likely include a sanctuary renovation and update in this building at some point. And also looking at the possibility of our next big facility need, which is likely going to be a fellowship hall student building uh, possibility. In fact, if you've been giving designated monies in the last several years above your tithe to help us pay down the debt, we encourage you to continue to do that, but just give that, designate that directly to the building fund as we prepare for the days ahead. With the other 20% of those excess funds at the end of the year, we'll be creating a sending account that'll be used in the days ahead to help us invest in missions and church planning all over the world, but also right here at home. As, our, as churches in our nation and sadly in our own community begin to close, it is our responsibility to take up the mantle of bringing the gospel to the places where these churches used to reach. We understand this because it is the church's responsibility to bring the gospel to the world. My heart as your pastor is that God would call up and send out here in the years ahead at Enon Baptist Church pastors, missionaries, preachers, worship leaders, servants to be sent out from us for the glory of God. We desire to be a sending church here. Our heart is that as we grow and build here at 724 Marsh Majestic Road, that we will, we will be able to go and plant there wherever God opens the door. Finally, we want to celebrate today that one of the main reasons we were able to build in this margin as well as increase our missions giving as we prepare to hire more staff and do more other things is because in previous years, we have been paying over a quarter of a million dollars a year in debt reduction payments. However, because of your faithfulness to give and God's faithfulness, in 2021, Enon Baptist Church became entirely debt-free. So let's praise the Lord for that. So today, we wanted to do a celebration note-burning ceremony, but we couldn't really figure out how to do that and not burn down the building we just paid for. Uh, and since we wanted to have a very special person to be a part of that, we've decided to do that virtually. So I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to the screens real quick. Good morning, Enon Baptist Church family. I am former pastor John M. Wright, and I am the one that got you into this humongous building debt. <laughs> and it is only fitting that I am the one that is going to signify you getting out of this debt by burning this church note. So follow along with me as we burn it together.
Can we praise the Lord together? Isn't that great? Now, before we get into our message for today, since we're on the topic of giving, I want to remind everyone that the new year is a great opportunity to bring every part of your life under the lordship and direction of God, including your finances. Church family, you want God in your finances. Many of you already know how to do that and the blessings of that today, but some of you may not. So very briefly, I just want to remind you of the quick ABCs to honoring God in your finances. So they'll be on the screen. First, the first uh, ABCs of directing your finances, bringing God into your finances, is to account for what you spend and what you will need to spend. The Bible makes it clear that everything that comes into our lives, including our finances, is a gift from God. Budgeting well and proper planning financially is something that the scripture emphasizes as a good thing. Jesus said, what man goes to build a building without first calculating the cost? And this is really important in the days of Amazon where you can be driving in the road and think, I need something. Pull up your phone, search for it, find it, buy now, and, and you don't even really know how much money you've spent. It's easy to do that in the days of credit card and debit cards. I remember here my former pastor used to say that when you take your family to dinner and you buy them dinner on a credit card, you haven't bought them dinner, you have financed them dinner. So there is a truth that we do need to account for everything that God has brought into our lives. And I would encourage you as your pastor that spiritual stewardship is a responsibility. I would encourage you at the beginning of the year to set a budget, to look through everything that you spend, have a budget in your family, and then go through your finances. Where am I spending money on frivolous things that ultimately is not wise and not honoring to God? If you, plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Secondly, B, bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord. The scripture makes it really clear over and over again that part of our aspect of worship is to do that by financially giving unto the Lord and unto his work for the purpose of worshiping him and recognizing that everything that he has given us belongs to him. All throughout scripture, the standard for that begins with being first fruits givers, which means the tithe, the 10%. God has designed his people to live off 90% and to give 10% as the tithe, as the first fruits of our offerings to the Lord. By doing that, what you're saying is, is God, I'm bringing you the tithe, the 10%, because I'm saying, oh God, the 100% all came from you. And then the offering, whatever God lays on your heart above and beyond to give beyond that. And so you pray and lay those things before the Lord. The tithe is scripturally affirmed all throughout. And the Old Testament predates the law. When Cain and Abel, you read that in your one year reading this past week, when Cain and Abel brought their offerings to God, the Bible says that Abel brought the first fruits, which was the tithe, and it was regarded by God. Jesus affirmed the tithe. He said, you tithe the mint, dill, and cumin, uh, and you do well, but you neglect the weightier portions of the law. This is God's standard. And all over Scripture, the God says, if we do these things, he will bless us. Now, I'm going to say you here today, that does not mean that if you begin to tithe that God's going to make you a millionaire and you're going to come rolling up in here next week in a jag and you've got a private jet, okay? That is not God's standard. But I will say this over and over and over again. If we're faithful to do anything that God tells us to do, it brings blessings. And then last thing, the C, celebrate contentment in your life. The greatest enemy of honoring God in our finances is often our pursuit of more and more and more. In our society today that never 
tells us to be content, never tells us to pause and celebrate what we presently have, but always strive after more. It often leads to us not honoring God by giving unto the Lord, but also by getting in debt and taking on more struggles and things that we don't really need. Now, contentment is not necessarily that you, uh, that you can enjoy the things that God has given us. The scripture affirms we can. And we can even lay our desires before him. Kimberly and I are looking to buy a home or build a home. And so we're laying these things before the Lord. It is okay to lay these things before the Lord. But contentment says that if this next year, if materially speaking, I stay the exact same. Or if materially speaking, I even decrease. That it's not the end of the world for me. Because ultimately, my hope is not found in my stuff. My hope is found in my Savior. And so I encourage you this year to gauge maybe your contentment in your life. If I think about money and think about making money more than I think about God and just sitting in his presence, then I may be struggling with contentment. So this is the ABCs of honoring God in your finances. Those are free. That's not our sermon for today. I won't charge you a dime. So that being the case, hey, let's pray and thank God for all that he has done here at Enon Baptist Church this last year. Lord... We thank you. We thank you that we were able to give faithfully here at the church because, Lord, every bit of it came from you. Not one dollar, not one dime that was given to your work in tithes and offerings, uh, Father, was something that we earned in and of ourselves. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you don't gauge our value to you on how much we give, but the heart behind it. God, I thank you that the tithes of the uh, least, uh, the, the least financially uh, 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 enabled person in this room, uh, that Father maybe is living on a fixed income or whatever it may be, that they give their, their little before the Lord compared to maybe the most wealthy who can give great. I thank you that in the eyes of God that they're exactly the same. And Lord, I thank you that you are pleased. And so God, we thank you for all that you've given us. And Lord, we do pray, help us to be faithful in the days ahead. And God, help us to use these monies Father, for your name and glory, that more and more people could know you. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can we celebrate one more time? Praise the Lord for all that he's done. Now, that being said, we're going to take a, a, a quick shift this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 6. You may get a little spiritual whiplash here today because this is an entirely different topic. But look at our text today. If you're joining us in our one-year Bible reading journey, and I hope you are, you will have come across this passage this past week. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now these verses in Genesis chapter 6 serve as the beginning of the story of Noah's ark and the great flood. The focus of these first few verses is the sinfulness of man. But then in verses 8 and 9, it shifts to the life and lifestyle of Noah as contrasted from the rest of humanity on the earth. In these verses, Noah is set apart from the rest of the earth's population as the only one who is being commended by God when the rest of the earth's population is being condemned by God. 
So much so that God is about to show his wrath and judgment against sin by destroying the entire population of the earth, save only Noah and his family. God was about to start over with Noah. Noah is the very first designated survivor. The title of our message today is this, How to Remain Devoted to God in Dark Days. Now, church family, in previous generations in the American church, most Christians' New Year's resolutions would have been geared towards the focus of going deeper in your love and service of God. These are true. Most of our New Year's resolutions in decades past would have been things like, hey, this year I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to serve more. And I would say to you, all these things are good and we need to do. However... As we have watched the rapid cultural decline away from the things of God and His design in the past 20 years, a resolution that the Christian church must now begin to make each year, a new resolution that we almost begin to take on, is to simply be resolved to remain faithful to God. As temptation to soften and even abandon on biblical faithfulness comes with more and more pressure, In many ways, the world in which we live today mimics that of the earth in the days of Noah. How many of us would say that Genesis 6-5 sounds a lot like 2022? And the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This sounds a lot like what happens when you turn on the news. We see it in the headlines around us every day. Just this past month, Supreme Court Justice Amy Barrett who is a follower of Jesus, has been slammed by the media for just mentioning that adoption should be preferred over abortion. Her critics have cited that her opinion doesn't account for the pain adoption causes a mother, which is absolutely true. That should be brought up. However, they mention that without even mentioning the obvious reality that the mother's emotional pain should not be compared to the potential life and death decision and how it affects the child. The culture of death in our world today that doesn't value life is going to places that we've never seen. How many of us would say that the the previous statement that was celebrated for decades by the pro-choice movement used to be that abortion was something that should be safe, legal, and rare? That sounds conservative today. In that context today where abortion is being celebrated as something that is good and encouraged and celebrated. The New York legislation standing, if you remember, in 2019 when the legislation there in the state basically made abortion legal to the point of birth. You would imagine that any kind of legislation like that would be somber. But how many of you saw the videos of this entire hall of a state congress standing in ovation, clapping and cheering as they celebrated the fact that now in New York it is legal to abort your child to the point of birth? Church family, we have gone places we've never been before. Likewise, we see the evil in our day in the agenda of the LGBTQ sexual revolution. It's going places none of us could have ever imagined a decade ago. Not only is gender and sexual perversion in the eyes of God completely completely legal, but now what is right in the sight of God is becoming rapidly illegal. Just this past week, many of you may not know this, that in Canada, our brothers just to the north, not some fictional liberal country in a place where we're not aware of, but just to the north of us, a law went into effect that banned any sort of LGBTQ conversion therapy with no exemptions, 
which is not limited to what we would consider a therapeutic environment. It's not like it banned counselors, professional counselors, who this is what they do for a living. But it even extends to religious counseling. There's the reality that this is extending to the pulpit even to the pastor's office, and even to the Christian conversations with the possibility that it can even extend to the home. Now, it's important for us to say there are Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction, who have committed homosexual acts of sin that are searching to find help and repentance and grace, and we should always be open to that. And by the way, in this new, for all you parents here today, in this new sexual revolution, this will continue to be the case. We have to be open and dealing with our children about this, that just because somebody has a moment of homosexual attraction, that doesn't mean that you're homosexual. And even if you have a moment of homosexual failure in an action, this doesn't mean that you are a homosexual. We have to be able to have these conversations with individuals in our day and age. But here's the truth. Laws like this are now beginning to come to the place to where now it may be illegal to even have a conversation with your child where heterosexuality, God's standard for sexual expression, is the only right way. It could be considered child abuse to even tell that to your children. We could go on over and over again about the evil in our world today. It's regular to see now people walking into public places with shootings and bent towards death and destruction. Friends, the world we live in today is only getting worse. The wickedness of man is great on the earth. However, we need not be afraid. Like Noah, God's people have endured through very dark days before. And we will be faithful. He will be faithful to sustain and even expand his kingdom again today. However, for the church to be able to survive and thrive, we must be intentional. We must commit regularly to being devoted to the Lord even in dark days. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, in line of the evilness in the world, the Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it mentions three specific things that Noah did that set him apart from the world around us. And I believe today, I want to give these to you very briefly this morning, that these, maybe all of us here today, could make the New Year's resolution, say, oh God, let me be freshly devoted to you. Because in the world we're living in, there will be no middle ground. First, if you're keeping notes today, To be devoted to God in dark days, you must commit to do the things that are right before God personally. Notice in verse 8, the very first thing that's mentioned about Noah in his lifestyle, his character, it says in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and walked with God. Church, we must understand that in this small statement about Noah's righteousness, there's an incredible weight. The word used for righteous here in this passage means someone who habitually does the right thing. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that Noah was sinless. None of us are sinless. But basically, it meant that his actions and desires was to do the things that honor God. The entirety of these opening verses are intended to lead us to the place to see that Noah was living and acting differently in the sight of God than the rest of the world. God proclaimed the rest of the world wicked, but here he finds Noah as righteous, so he had favor in the eyes of God. If we're attempting to live devoted to God in dark days, this passage gives us some truths that we have to notice. First, this passage tells us that if we desire to be righteous, we must acknowledge God has a standard. 
The entirety of the opening of this great story sets God as the judge of right and wrong in the earth. God is senior in this story as the one who is declaring the world as wicked and Noah as righteous. The flood account reminds us that the one true God stands as the final authority over all humanity. A good illustration for this in our present context would be to compare God over and above even our authority and legislative government. In our national context, God is the, he is the legislative branch. He, he, he writes the law. He is the judicial. He upholds the law. He is the executive. He enforces the law. The picture of Noah being declared righteous by God in this passage should remind us that in our day, regardless of what society accepts, what laws are written, what actions are celebrated in our present day, righteousness before God is not assessed by them. Ultimately, righteousness before God is assessed by his standard and his standard alone. Psalms chapter 9 verse 8 says, And he will judge the world in righteousness, and he will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. We also need to know that in God's standard, there is no gray area. In the Bible, it is always clear cut. There's always black and white, good and evil, right and wrong, righteousness and wicked. God enforces a clear standard. The second thing we need to notice here in this passage is this passage lets us know that we need to, that that to be righteous is that ultimately we must keep his standard. The main premise of this word righteous when applied to a person before God is that they are doing the right thing before God. Noah was different in the world because he functioned according to God's standard. So essentially this morning, if righteousness is based on God's standard and keeping God's standard, then it should lead us to do two major things that I want to give you this morning if we're going to be devoted to God personally. And the first is this. First, we must know and understand God's standard through His word. Church, in the days ahead, what will distinguish not only righteousness from wickedness, but also false Christianity from genuine Christianity will be the word of God and the word of God alone. We are already seeing so-called Christian denominations and organizations who have completely abandoned all scriptural authority and cherry-picked the Bible, including only what they approve and ignoring the rest. Just this last year, Bethany Christian Services has been one of the oldest, it is the oldest in America, Christian adoption service, over 100 years old. They elected a new CEO. And in light of the likelihood of the passing of an Equality Act, they went ahead and changed their standards to say now that they will serve homosexual couples in helping them adopt children. This is a Christian agency who is now is putting their stamp on homosexual marriage as an option in which children is a good standard in which children could be raised and reared. The truth is, is that we see this over and over again in our culture today. This is why we are challenging you as a church to read through God's word, to get inside of God's word, because this has to be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. This will be what defines the true church from a false church in the days ahead. And secondly, to be right before God in the days ahead, we must attempt to follow and keep God's standard. It's one thing to know God's standard. It's another thing to follow and keep it. 
I remember when Jackson was a little boy, a little toddler. He was barely uh, uh, two years, probably not even two years old. He still had a diaper, still had a pacifier. And one day he found my Bible. He was all about wanting to be strong. And so he'd pick up things and he'd show me how strong he was. And he came in one day and he, he, uh, he had the scales, the bathroom scales out of the bathroom. He had them over his head with his passage, these big giant eyes. And I was like, hey, buddy, that's awesome. That thing's not made to be held up. It's made to be stood on. And I think about how often that is in the church. How many times we can be people, oh, I believe the Bible, I hold it up, I celebrate it. It doesn't matter if you hold it up and celebrate it. The question is, do you stand on it? Does it lead and direct your lives? Brothers and sisters, we must remember that while in Christ, our righteousness before God, in terms of having a relationship with God, it is not based on our works. Praise God for that today. Ultimately, me coming into a relationship with God, my righteousness is based on the fact that Jesus took my unrighteousness and gave me his righteousness. However, just because my righteousness doesn't bring me into a relationship with God, it doesn't mean that my actions in life don't matter. The New Testament gives us a different picture of that. To us, keeping the Word of God isn't about coming into a relationship with God, but it's an effectual action of those who have already been brought into a relationship with God. I don't try to do the right things so God will love me. I try to do the right things because I'm loved by God and so much so I want to please Him and honor Him. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. He said, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 reminds us that God has called us to be a people who strive after doing the right thing, doing the things that God honors. He says, Be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. The gospel shows that disciples of Jesus should be devoted to attempting to live a righteous life before God. Church family, today we need to know that sin in the lives of God's people should be something that we don't ignore, but engage with passion and might. Saying, God, I want to be holy before you. In dark days, there is no middle ground. In this text, there was Noah and his family and the rest of the world. And in the days ahead, there will be the faithful followers of Jesus and a wicked and broken world. And often, it will be our lifestyle that makes the difference. We have to be a people who say, oh God, I will do what you've called me to do. I will stand with you what is right and true versus stand with the world. And I will give you this little word of warning. The temptation for those of us here at Enion Baptist Church on Sunday morning will not be to rush to the furthest edge of whatever new level that the moral revolution is going towards. It's not going to be that you're going to come in here, there's a temptation for some of you to come in here next week dressed in transgender garb and begin presenting yourself as a transgender. That, again, if, if, if you struggle in that area, we want to talk to you about that. But the likelihood is, is that for most Sunday morning Bible-believing Christians, that's probably not going to be the temptation, but rather... The temptation will be, as the farther edge gets further and further, the temptation will be for Christians to begin to compromise on the standard and begin to live in a middle ground. It may be that you begin to accept things that you previously wouldn't have accepted, say things that you previously wouldn't have said, just to keep the peace. It may be you on social media liking or commenting or celebrating a neighbor's homosexual marriage. It may be you compromising in how you call your children to dress and act at home because there's so much sexual liberality 
in their class and the people around them. It won't be that you're tempted to go to the far edge. It'll be tempted that you're called to sway on the front edge. Church family, if we want to be devoted in dark days, we have to be a people that are committed to no compromise. We have to be a people that are committed to righteousness. Secondly, this morning, to be devoted to God in dark days, you must commit to do and affirm the things that are right before God publicly. Now, the second characteristic about Noah in this text that led to him having favor with God is similar to him being righteous. But in this instance, gives us a perspective of his righteousness from a public standpoint. In verse 9 here, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, the word blameless essentially communicates the same thing as righteous. Is that God, in light of his life, had no point to bring blame to him. He was blameless. It's the same picture we see in the Old Testament. It's the same word of choosing a lamb for sacrifice that was blameless. However, it gives that little caveat on the other side of that. He was blameless in his generation. Basically, he was saying that, yes, this text means that he was righteous in the eyes of God, but it also reminds us that Noah's righteousness, the way he lived, was publicly seen by the world around him. Church family, in the days ahead, being devoted to the Lord in the days ahead will mean that that we are a people who not just commit to do what God's called us to do privately, but also we commit to do that publicly. And why is that? First, we need to know that living rightly before God publicly in dark days will be a requirement for God's people. We need to accept that the lives of those of us who are followers of Jesus will always have a public element. Because in dark days, the temptation may be to simply retreat inside the walls of our homes and holy huddles and shut the dark world out. Now, I will say, shielding and protecting is the responsibility for parents of children absolutely for a season. But the reality is is that God has called his people not to run from a dark world, but to run to a dark world. This is true in New Testament and Old Testament times. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we find out that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just building this ark and living this life separately from the rest of the world. He was living publicly before the Lord. In fact, he was calling people to come and escape the coming judgment of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we're reminded that Jesus says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is our responsibility to live differently as an aspect of invitation to the world around us. Church family, in dark days, the church should not hide out from the world, but we must run forward into the world to be salt and light. It is not God's will for us here at Enon, as the world gets darker, is not to purchase a couple of hundred acres somewhere and create the Enon compound of the saints. We're not going to do this for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, because it sounds very weird Waco-ish. But secondly, it's because this is not what God has for us. We are to be the light in a dark world. And I am believing here today that, the, that there's a movement of God that's still coming. I'm believing here today that as, as, as dark as this world gets, the darker society gets around us, that it's going to be even the greatest opportunity for us to shine the light of Jesus because the darker things get, the brighter the light can shine. I had a conversation with a Christian family just this past week who loves Jesus. Man was a deacon. She served. I mean, they're, they're the, the, per, was the people we pray for as far as laborers in our church, raised incredible godly children. One of them who's a nurse came home over the Christmas holidays and sat his family down and came out as a homosexual. Obviously, they were devastated. 
And they have done the right things, though. They have loved their son, have never said, we will never back away, prayed with their son, but stayed faithful to the truth, but stayed faithful to the truth in love. And as I met with them, as they were discouraged in that moment, I reminded, they said they felt helpless. And this is what I said. What you need to remember, though, in light of all of this, in light of no matter how darkness or dark things around us may get, regardless of what situation that may be, homosexuality, whatever it may be, whatever the, the cultural persuasion of the day is, is that still the greatest fight, the greatest promise that we have as believers is written inside of the heart of people is the design of God. The design of God of what is right and wrong still cries out from within the souls of people. And so as believers, as we bring the gospel to a broken world, we're not starting at ground zero because God is already at work drawing people to himself. Secondly, we need to know that living rightly before God publicly in dark days will be difficult. Church, we don't need to have any illusions that being faithful in the days ahead will be easy for the church. The scripture's already promised this for us. John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, But an hour is coming, for everyone who kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. I believe that we're seeing the beginning of a moral revolution in the world, and I believe that we're already seeing that this revolution has teeth. Theo Hobson, a theologian and historian, spoke of the three stages of a moral revolution, and I believe that we're seeing them come to pass. He said, in any moral revolution, the first step is what was once celebrated must be condemned. I think about as we look at our society, we used to celebrate that the right standard for things like sexual uh, sexual expression was heterosexual marriage. This was the standard. We used to celebrate things like it's good to have a man as the leader and the head of the household. We used to celebrate things like this, but now to even make those statements... You're a sexist if you believe that man is supposed to be the leader of the household. And you're a bigot if you say that the only way for sexual expression to be right is inside of heterosexual marriage. This is the first step. We're seeing it happen. The second step in a moral revolution, he said, is what was once condemned then must be celebrated. Again, we're already seeing that. Things that were once condemned are now openly celebrated in our culture. But this is the last step. I think we need to zone in on here today is that those who will not celebrate will then be condemned. And this is where we are today. There are days coming when we, are, we will be persecuted simply for not celebrating the things that God hates. But in those moments, we must remember we should love everyone in this world regardless of what they say or do. However, we can't compromise when and if we are called to affirm things that dishonor God. The gospel of Jesus must always address sin as defined by God. People say, oh, if you're a follower of Jesus, then everything should be okay. Everything should be accepted. Hear this to me today. That is a false gospel. The good news, to get to the good news, you've got to address the bad news. And the bad news is is God has a standard of right and wrong. And there is such a thing as sin. And we've all broken it. To to be a follower of Jesus, we must always address what is right and wrong. However... The gospel of Jesus that we carry must always address sin as defined by God in his word or isn't the gospel. Remaining devoted to God in dark days means followers of Jesus. You can't participate, you can't celebrate, and you cannot be silent about the things that do not honor God. Did we hear that? In light of persecution, in light of pain, 
in light of maybe even your job, you can't celebrate, you can't participate, and you can't be silent about the things that don't honor God. Now, there's wisdom and discernment in that. Scripture says we're to be wise as serpents, as gentle as doves. That don't mean you have to walk in and put a stake in the ground and pick a fight that you haven't fought. It's not there, but it means when you're put on the spot, we have to stand for what God has called us as truth. My prayer is us here at Eden Baptist Church that God will raise up faithful, loving followers of Jesus that will remain with him courageously even if the darkest day should ever come. And I pray that they don't come. I pray, though, that if that day would ever come, that we would ring true the words of the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who was a follower of Jesus, and he made this statement. He said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would be viewed would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. He said, if I have brought any message to you today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Jesus and have the courage to suffer the contempt from the sophisticated world. To honor God in dark days, we've got to commit to righteousness personally. And this means a revival of holiness in our hearts and lives. This means saying, God, I choose to do the right things. I am not going to stand in the middle on this. Is that God, I am personally going to choose to let my life be led by the word of God. Not to earn God's favor, but in light of the great gospel we have been given, in light of the great Jesus who gave all for me, I am going to pursue righteousness in my life. And then I'm going to stand publicly for that righteousness and not compromise, but then finally, and I'm going to ask Brother Micah and Brother Ken to make their way back up here, but finally, to be devoted to God in dark days, you must commit to be walking with God passionately. You know, the last three phrases that showed us Noah as a man who stood out, who honored God, it says that he was a man who was righteous. He was blameless before God. But this last word sets it all into its greatest context. It says Noah was one who walked with God. Walking with God is the undergirding to all faithfulness to God. Without a genuine, intimate relationship with God, then we will not stand in the face of persecution. Without a genuine, intimate relationship with God, we won't strive after righteousness. You may attempt to do it out of legalism, but legalism only lasts for a little while. To have a loving, consistent faithfulness to the Lord, you've got to be walking with the God who created you. This is where it begins. We're not trying to to stand out different for the sake of standing out different. I'm not trying to preach these principles because we're trying to rescue some national pride or something in that aspect. We're talking about the faithfulness of the children of God. And it comes down to being faithful to who he is. And how am I faithful to a God in whom I don't know? What should the church be in the days ahead? The church that survives in dark days, that's devoted in dark days. It's not a church that's just rigorous in their efforts and faithful in their pursuit. But it's a church that weeps in the presence of their king. It's a church who knows the God who created them. How do you do that today first? you got to come to know him through Jesus. This is where this begins. Maybe your 2022 needs to begin there. Maybe the design, don't you hear me this morning? If you don't hear anything else I say today, zone in on me here just for a moment. Let me see your eyes here just for a moment. Listen to me here today. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. 
If the design of God in you is crying out for something different, is crying out for something more, if there's emptiness in your heart and life and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know here today, that is what you long for. The God who created you. So maybe that's where it begins. You calling out to Jesus today saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. That may be you today. And I promise you if you do, on the authority of Scripture, He will change your life forever. Be born again. So the Bible says, how many of you want to be born again today? And then to walk with Him once you know Him, you've got to seek Him perpetually. In His Word, through prayer, worship, coming to church, by the way. That's why it's important for us to come to church in the days of dark days. We need each other. I may come in here low on Sunday mornings. I may be beat up on Sunday mornings. But as I hear you worship a Savior, I see you celebrate a resurrection. I see the Jesus in you that I know is true in me and my battery is charged. I walk out of here standing a little taller because of the Spirit of God in you. We need each other. Why do you think the persecuted church all over the world risk leaving their homes of safety, traveling miles to go to some hidden basement or closet somewhere to gather with other believers because it's God's design? We need each other. I would say to you here today, we need a revival of holiness. We also need a revival of hunger. I prayed in this room just this week, laid on my face before God in that center aisle as we looked at 2022. And this was my prayer for 2022. Oh God, if you do anything at Enon Baptist Church, make us hungry for you. Not for religion, not for church stuff, but to know you, oh God. And sometimes that means we'll have to throw out the schedule. Sometimes that means it won't look fancy on Sunday mornings. Sometimes that means we may turn all the lights on. Sometimes that means we may turn all the lights off. Sometimes that means we may sing some different music. Sometimes that may mean we don't sing at all. Sometimes all we got to do is come together to pray, but we just need God today. Maybe this morning that's where it begins with you. I can't hunger in public what I'm not hungering for in private. Maybe today it starts with that revival this morning. Church, dark days may be coming. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the possibility of suffering. I'm okay with the possibility of persecution. I'm not looking forward to those things. But I know God will be faithful in the middle of it. But what I am looking for, what I am afraid of in the middle of it, is that when those days come, then I'm not ready for it. Church, I would say today, let's get ready for it. You say, well, what if it never comes? We're going to be better off. We'll pray that it never comes. But, oh, God, would you make us ready? Would you raise up a church of people that are persecutable? That it's real. We need him today. Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're going to close. You know when Noah was vindicated? When Noah's devotion wasn't weird anymore? Because I'm telling you, it was weird. Blameless in his generation. Nobody around him thought he made any sense. Everybody ignored him. He preached righteousness, the Bible says, but it was only him and his family got on the boat. Noah got turned down a lot. You know when it was finally seen that Noah's efforts were worth it? It was when the rain started coming. When it was all said and done, and God showed up, is that Noah rose above. As everybody else sank below. Church family, there may be days coming when everybody around you says you're crazy. 
When other parents look at you and say, I can't believe that you raised your kids like that. When your kids look at you and say, I can't believe you raising me like this when everybody else gets to do that. I can't believe that you're still holding to that standard. There's going to be the day coming where everybody's going to look at you and may say, you're on the wrong side of history. Let me say something to you this morning, church. You don't need to worry about what side of this history you're on. You need to worry about what side of God's history is on. Because in God's history, there's an end point. And when that end point comes, he's coming back. And on that day, it'll all be vindicated. On that day, you'll be thankful that you stood and you stand for Jesus. On that day, it'll all wash out to what is right and wrong. Make that your commitment today. Oh, God, I don't care if I ever see the fruit of it on this earth. One day, I'll look at you face to face and it'll all have been worth it. So this morning... I want to invite you to stand. And as you stand, my question today is, first and foremost, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, I just want you to hear me today. Call out to him right there where you are. Church family, I believe the Lord is here this morning. If you don't know him today, right there where you are, would you bow your heads maybe for a moment? I want to ask you a very serious question. If you don't know Jesus, would you call out to him to save you? Say, dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I want to give my whole life to following you. Save me, Lord Jesus. I'm picking my side. And I want to stand with you. Maybe today you did that for the very first time. You said, Pastor Zach, I'm tired of waiting in the middle. I gave my life to Jesus this morning. With everybody, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is between me and you. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is going to be between me and you. I'm going to ask you, would you just look up at me? You say, Pastor Zach, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Would you just glance up right there where you are? Just keep your eyes on me just for a moment. It's between me and you. Amen. Others in this room. Amen. You say, that's me, Pastor Zach. That's that's what I'm going to challenge you to do. We need each other. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus, there's a couple of ways. That you can let that be known. You need to let somebody know that. So we can help you start to figure out what that looks like. You take that little blue connect card. You can write on it. I gave my life to Christ today. And you put it in one of those boxes as we leave. Also, you can come see me just after service over here to this welcome area. And I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and what that means. Or you can always you can come and let one of our pastors pray for you. They'd love to do that. And so however you don't respond. And then secondly, if you know Jesus today, as we sing... Maybe you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to kneel at your seat. There we are. Maybe you need to let one of these pastors pray for you. Maybe you need to have a revival in your own personal life of righteousness today. Call out to him as we sing. Lord, I pray you'd move for your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You feel free to come as we sing.